Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Book Talk with Fran Lewis. Brought to you by MJ Network, MJ in memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce. And this show is dedicated to her memory. Today, I'm doing the author of The Empty Kayak, Joe Day Millman is here, and this book is absolutely fantastic and outrageous, and this is the last show until August 1st, August 2nd. So, everybody, I hope you guys listen, and I hope you enjoy this one, and I know there are people calling in, so good morning, and how are you, and welcome to MJ Network. Hey, friend, how are you? It's always fun to talk to you. Well, this should be fun, I hope. This book really got me, and I'm saying I wouldn't go on a kayak for anything. I don't even like going on a motorboat anymore. So Chapter 1 relates a possible death. Why did you jump ahead before the police saw the scene of the waterfront? This is so cool. Well, I did this because I always like to start my books with a bang. Um, yeah. I always like to immediately catch the reader's attention and have them try to figure out what the heck is going on. So that's why I started with the uh, with the detective knocking on the front door, and then I jumped back and she explains why she is there. This Delivering is really amazing. Serious news. Well, what happens at the waterfront, and who is Olivia? And what is her relationship well, with Kyle, with Jesse's ex-boyfriend? Oh dear. Well, let's let's talk about the the structure of the characters first. Yeah. The person who comes yeah. to the front door, her name is Detective Ebony Jones, and she's a recurring character in my series. And mm. Ebony arrives. She is um, a feisty gal. She's a bit of a rogue cop, and she's very uh, ambitious. And she's the, she's walking to the front door of the home that's owned by her former best friend, her estranged best friend, Jesse Martin, who, again, is mm. the main protagonist in the series. And she's coming to the door carrying Jesse's one-year-old. And she's carrying this one-year-old, and she knocks on the door because she's there to deliver some news. The news is that Jesse's ex, uh, Kyle, is missing. He's missing mm. as a result of a kayaking accident on the Hudson River. And she's there to tell she's there to tell Jesse we we he's disappeared we don't know where he is and we don't know if we're going to find him so that is the inciting incident that gets the ball rolling going back to what happens at the waterfront um, mm. the 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 disappearance occurs after Kyle and his fiancee Olivia are kayaking on the Hudson River they're a, a storm comes out of nowhere. It's a pop-up thunderstorm, and they're, they're on their way to look at the Mid-Hudson Bridge, and they take cover 
under the bridge, mm. or do they? Uh, at the end, after the storm, which lasts about 15, 20 minutes, Olivia returns to shore. However, Kyle does not. And that's mm. where the, the mystery begins. Was this an accident caused by the storm? Was it some, uh, a suicide? Or was there foul play or something more sinister at hand? Well, you see, I knew there was something more than this. But if you listen to the weather today and yesterday, you might think it's because of the weather. <laughs> you don't know. It's, it's, cra- it's crazy. Well, I got up at 6 o'clock in the morning because I needed air, so we took a ride. And it was pouring. And now the sun is out. You see, there is a god up there, a god of sun. So what happens when Olivia comes out of the water? What does she say? What does she say Kyle is? Well, she doesn't know. She's you know she, she know, looked right? for him, but then there was a, there was another storm that was coming in, and she yeah. goes into this you know into this flee you know a, a self preservation mode, and she comes back to uh, you know she comes back. She's hysterical. She calls nine one one, which is what which is what activates uh, Ebony and her partner Alexander mm. uh, Xander coming to the scene to investigate. Uh, this is, You have to understand a little bit about the Hudson River. Where, where we are in Poughkeepsie, and this does take place in Poughkeepsie, it is about almost a mile wide. It's mm. about 300, 300 feet wide, 3,000 feet wide. And it's one of the deepest channels of the Hudson. The Hudson was, a, was uh, created by glaciers that came across North America and dug a 300-foot uh, channel in the Hudson River. So we're talking about a very deep, dangerous river. Now, this is also multiplied by the fact it's known as a, an estuary. And it's an estu- mm. what an estuary is is when, when you have tides coming in and going out. It's a tidal river, and those tides come in from the Atlantic Ocean. So constantly there's a changing ecology in the Hudson River, and it's very dangerous, very murky. It's called a drowned river. That's what they mm. call this, this type of river. So not only do you have a storm, you have anybody who's a good swimmer. If they fell into this, if they fell into this, um, uh, if, if they fell into the river, they may not come back anyway, simply because of the nature of this river. So you're talking about a very interesting and dangerous situation, not only for people who are boaters, but also mm. for people who who have to um, uh, try to, uh, you know, for anybody who's in the rescue squads who are trying to save people that have fallen into the river. I just read a book. I finished it yesterday by a very famous author where the main character had to do exactly that, go into the water, swim in the river, and pray that the current didn't kill her. And a whole bunch of people. Yeah, it's, it's scary. You know, the thing about the it's scary because the Hudson River is so murky. And when I was doing research for this book, I spoke with the divers and also with the fire department who have their own their mm-hmm. own search and rescue teams. You cannot even see your hand in front of your face when you are in the Hudson River. So you have to you know you have to use sonar equipment. You have to use all kinds of technologies. And it's virtually impossible to determine what is a fish, what is a dead body, what is a log. I mean, it really is a, a, a really interesting 
a natural phenomenon. I really wanted to make that a character in this book. You scared me with that character in the book. Seriously. <laughs> which 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 confirmed the fact that Fran doesn't go into any bodies of water other than a bathtub. That's it. That's it. That's all. And yesterday, after watching New York um, Murder in New York, you don't want to do that either. Seriously. So, what what happens when Olivia comes out with the two kayaks? She doesn't know where he is, and her family thinks that they could say and do anything they want. How come they're above the law? Well, they think well they it's are. not necessarily that they're above the law. They're a very close knit group of people. Yeah. And the question is, are they circling around Olivia? And and if so, mm-hmm. for what reason? You know, and, and what what I've done in this book and, and this first of all I have to tell you the the story is inspired by a true crime that happened in twenty fifteen where a couple went out much. kayaking on the Hudson and only one of them came back. And um in that situation it was it always been clear who the who the wrongdoer was. But what I had to do was create a mystery and I had to create drop breadcrumbs to indicate other possible uh, suspects. And so that's why when we look at Olivia's family, we're raising questions, or each one of them raises questions as to could they be a possible suspect in the event Mm. that there's a finding of wrongdoing in this case. Oh, boy. So Ebony talks to Olivia. She wants to know something about, about Kyle and about what happens and how come Jesse's daughter was there? Well, Jesse and Jesse and Kyle um, have separated. They both have yeah. gone on to to start different relationships. But part of of their relationship, Jesse is at the point where she's starting to trust Kyle, and she's starting to allow him to have visitation with her. Remember, mm. we're dealing with a one year old. So the these events occur on the day when Kyle has visit visitation with uh, with Lily, the baby. And this raises other questions for for Jesse because when Ebony comes to deliver the news, Jesse yeah. has is clueless. She has no idea about Kyle's new life, that he has started a new relationship. And so all of a sudden she sees this woman walking up her friend walking up the front steps with, with her kid and she's wondering what the heck is going on here. You know, where's Kyle? What's going on? Has there been an accident? Her first thought is, is it a car accident? I think that's what we all think. You know, yeah. was it some kind of car accident? But then we find out that, no, it's something a little bit more bizarre than that. But Olivia, yeah, well, that's, Olivia has that's trouble. scary. Uh, it, it's scary, and, you know, you have to look at look at it from – and what I do is I try to look at the situation from three different perspectives. Mm-hmm. One was from Jessie's perspective because she wants to find out what happened for the sake of her daughter and for the for Kyle's legacy. Then you have Ebony, who's the police officer, and so we're looking at it through the eyes of a police procedural. And the third perspective that I give is through the eyes of the of the new district attorney, who's a much more mature uh, mature person. She's in her 50s, and it's the first time I've really written a character, gotten into the head of a character who's honestly closer to my own age. And I wanted to give her the perspective 
and, and, and allow there to be a little bit more mm-hmm. um, perspective and control over her actions as opposed to Ebony's, you know, roguishness and Jesse's desire, to, desire for vengeance. Okay, I'll blame her in a sense. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I know how that feels. Tell us about Carlos Vargas and what about his wife? Well, Carlos is is a is Olivia's father, and mm. he is a guy who is very much used to being in control of situations. He is vice president for a global uh, uh, chemical firm, a medical mm. chemical firm. We got a guy who's got an MD and he's also got a PhD in chemistry, and we're, so we're dealing with someone who's used to a position of power. Mm. We have Olivia's mother, who's Viviana, and she is a renowned artist. She does a lot of um, landscapes. They're Latina, so they do a lot of. She does a lot of Latina um, villages and landscapes and things like that. Very well known artist. So you have these two people who are used to being in control, and also used to controlling or having somewhat control over every situation, including their children. And they're finding themselves in a situation where they are out of control, where someone else is pulling the strings. And we feel, we feel tension, uh, you know, that they exude because of that loss of control and power. I know people like that. And they do everything in their power to overtake anybody else. And then anybody else's opinion and the way they handle something doesn't really matter. And that could be detrimental to finding out who did this or what happened. So Olivia is supposedly good at kayaking. What about Kyle? And what does she say happened? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We we really don't know um, about Kyle's expertise in kayaking. We know Mm. that he's done a little bit of boating in the past because his when he was growing up, he spent a lot of time on Lake George during the summers with his grandfather and his grandmother who had a house there. So we know he's, he's used to the water. We, we know that he's a, a good swimmer. He's comfortable in the water. But as far as his kayaking ability, we don't know. So that is something that, that Ebony and also Jesse have to figure out as they go on this journey to find out what happened to him. I wonder how many people would ever, you know, I watch the news too much. I watch true crime. I'm really getting good at this. And I just wonder sometimes, yeah, well, a lot of the police officers, they if there's a rich person or a powerful person's uh, relative or, per- or daughter or something, they do more and they take more of an interest. When it's just mm-hmm. anybody, sometimes you wonder, and this case stays cold. I mean, the girl last night was killed in 2009, and they didn't find out until 2019 when they finally got her husband for the murder. It's like scary. So well, how- you know, the last book the last book that I did was Hooker Avenue and it was about the disappearances of eight prostitutes yeah. over a period of two years. And yeah. what you're saying is so true because you find mm. that when you have a rich person or you or you find someone like Gabby Petito who was a um an Instagram influencer that the police yeah. are all behind them. But if it's a prostitute or if it's a little a little a black child that's been missing for a long time. That's true. 
you know, they don't, they don't commit the resources, and that's really a huge problem. There, you know, for a system where there's supposed to be equal justice for all, there, there isn't. is no equal justice for all. I, I know that. And I dealt with child abuse in school. And they were mm-hmm. black kids, whatever. And I reported everything, and I got yelled at. You know, what are you worried about? I'm worried because I don't want this child to be dead. And I don't want it to right. be my fault that something happened. I stuck my neck out. I got in a lot of trouble at times, but I didn't care. And I'll never forget, one one parent said to me, um, I said, you took a, a switch, and the child's arm is all burnt and black. He says, I'll do more. I said, no, you won't, because the cops are right behind you. Mm. I was like, How many years unbelievable. Were you I taught in a tough school in the Bronx. Yeah. And and I taught there at PS78 on Fish and Needham. And I must have Uh done a really good job because my students are all on Facebook. They're not that much younger than me. And they kept (laughs) telling me if uh, they one 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 guy got a medal for he started this um, Team Spartan Spades. And yesterday I said, I knew you'd win. He said, you're the only one that ever had faith in me. So that's why I do what I do. And, and another one, another, oh, yeah, and another girl said, I have the migraine. I'm going to not get my 4.0. I said, yes, you will if you take a rest, put a cold cloth on your head, take a nap, and you'll be fine. And she texted me this morning and got my 4.0, and I got an A. I said, told you. No. It's yep. it's it's yep. so amazing. I mean, I, I you know, you don't know. You, I taught for a million years, and... I don't know where they come and tell you, well, we need you. <laughs> One of them wants me to read her book when she writes it. Before she writes it, she wants me to see it, what I think. So, oh, this that's is good. That's really good. So, this really is surprising. How would his death, if he doesn't, doesn't survive, impact Jesse? And who is Cindy, and what is her role in this case? Well, you know, uh, Kyle's... Kyle's death is something that, yeah. um, you, you know, but when I was thinking about writing this book, I knew that I wanted to have, I, I knew the story. I knew there was going to be a kayak accident, and I knew mm. that it was going to be a police procedural. And then I thought, who would be the absolute worst person to put in this kayak? Who would be the person that would totally overturn the lives of all the characters that I've created? And, of course, mm. That turned out to be Kyle. And it's Kyle because he and Jesse had reached a point where they were settling their differences, where they were mm. moving on to a new life, you know, where he was just getting used he where he was just getting used to being a father and learning how to relate to his, his infant daughter. And I mean they really had reached a milestone in the relationship with Jesse and also his relationship with his daughter. So this was like the worst possible thing that could happen. And now you have the situation where Jesse, who has gone through all kinds of hell in the previous books, is now facing raising a child on her own. And it's not, it's not that she's not up to the challenge, but she had looked forward to Kyle being a part of this child's life. And now all of a sudden she realizes how is she going to, as she goes through this book, she realizes mm. that there were things about Kyle that she never knew, that he, that once they had split up, he was living a brand new life and he hadn't been as, perhaps he hadn't been as candid with her about his mm. past and about his present as he could have been. So she, she, this is a journey for her to figure out who Kyle is 
not for necessarily for herself, but so she can communicate that to her daughter when her daughter asks questions. That's sad. So, you see, it's not really about Jesse at all. It's about it's about the baby. So Lily, it's a, yeah, no, it's a Lily has a big part in this. Yeah, she, and she Cindy, has a big control about this this little girl. She does. And and yes, she does. And it's um it's a sad it's a very sad situation. And it gets complicated as we go through the books the the plot gets more complicated around the fact that this child exists. I don't want to say anything more about it, but but this child really is a linchpin in this story. And oh, she Cindy, is that sure. yes, that's yeah. Cindy is the district attorney, as I mentioned before. She's an older person, yeah. and she, she's it, this is her first crime. <laughs> she's literally, you know, just polishing her the nameplate they just put up on her door. <clears throat> and so she's got to figure out what is going on here. Is there even a crime? Was it an accident? And if it's an accident, how do I proceed? And if it's a crime, how do I proceed? Yeah. So she's very much on the learning curve. That makes it kind of hard because you don't want to make mistakes, but you have to understand that there are other people that could sort of help you, and you can't be too proud to ask a question, which a lot of people are. So, right, right. Who is who is it's Mad Shepherd, and, and how does he get involved in this? And how did you create the the crime scene? How was a crime scene like that process since there was no person yet? Well, this is really, really interesting. Most... Most mysteries take place on land, and there are certain procedures mm-hmm. that, in life, real life, there are checklists that cops go through when they're processing um, a, a scene that's on land. Now, imagine a crime scene that is 300 miles long and Whoa. a mile wide, and that changes from minute to a minute. This is it's an aquatic crime scene, so not only potentially an aquatic crime scene. So you have to realize that that especially Cindy is facing that in the event that there is a crime here, how the hell am I going to process the Hudson mm. River? So I didn't know really anything about this. So I can't. This is a really interesting story. I I had this, first. I started out. And I'm going to tell you, I started out at the county fair. You're not going to believe this. Mm. At the Dutchess County Fair, every year they have the, the sheriffs there, and they mm. bring this big tank, and they have the divers who are there to show how the divers, you know, they give a little demonstration. Mm. <laughs> so I started talking to them, and this is a couple of years ago. You know, I'm thinking about writing this book. Um, who do I talk to? So they gave me the name of one of the troopers who's the head of the New York State diving team in our area. And I spoke with mm. him and he was telling me about the river and, and all the procedures. He said, there's this woman you have to speak to. Her name is Andrea Zafaris, and she runs this organization up in Shokan, New York, which is like in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's uh, about 45 minutes north of here, near a reservoir. And what she does is she travels all over the world training um, police and training um, all kinds of crime analysis uh, specialists. She is the person that they go to when it comes to processing aquatic forensic deaths. 
she's written. She's, I mean, she is certified by everybody in the world. So I, I was fortunate to have a couple of conversations with her, and I mm. gave her the scenario. And she said, wait a second. I know the scenario. I was, the, uh, was one of the specialists and experts that was called for the real crime, for the actual true crime. So not oh, only wow. was she able to tell me about, you know, this particular area of the law and the area of, you know, medical technology, she was able to tell me what happened in the true crime situation. So it was really, really interesting to have a conversation with her. Um, and she, and her, her whole, her whole, the gist of her whole conversation was that, that it's such processing a river or a stream or a bathtub or a lake is such a unique situation that a lot of times uh, law enforcement don't necessarily believe that, that what they're seeing is a crime. They always think first it's an accident. That's their first, mm. you know, their first knee-jerk um, reaction. This was an accident. And she stresses that, no, it may have been set up to look like an accident. You have to go beyond that. You have mm-hmm. to take a look at all of the circumstances and use your common sense. And, I mean, it was really an education for me to learn about uh, processing the Hudson River. But I imagine that not everybody like like her would even bother. I mean, seriously, she wanted to get to the bottom of what really happened. Right. Because I've watched right. too many true crime programs, and at the end, a lot of times, they don't, get the, they don't find the body, they don't find out who did it. And that, drive, that drives me crazy. Especially on cold justice, they very rarely get anybody. So how did they treat Olivia at first, and who is Augie? And from the start, you get a cold feeling when she's around. Well, uh, can I jump back to the fact that what you just said about sure. the true crimes? Yeah. Because especially in the Hudson River, you mm. may never find the body because it's 300 feet deep. Yeah. And you've got the tides. The tide could bring a potential body up to Albany or it could drag it out to the sea. So that's why when you have these, these aquatic forensic situations, you may never find the bodies. I was talking to um, a local uh, a fireman who was a rescue, who's part of the rescue team that they send out on the boats. He says that mm. they, years later they found bones of people, human bones mm-hmm. along the Hudson River from people who have died in accidents or jumped from bridges that they were never even reported. So what you're saying is absolutely true, that when you have a water situation, you may never, ever, ever find the body. But switching back to Olivia and Augie, she, this again is part of the family structure of the Vargas family. Yeah. You have Olivia, who is the youngest daughter. She is a She's a music teacher at a local middle school, but she's also a social influencer. She has her eye on the prize. She wants to be, you know, the next Kim Kardashian, for lack of a better word. You have her brother, who is has a Harvard MBA, and he's involved in the online gambling industry, which, as mm. you know, is a multi-billion-dollar industry that's going through the roof. We also have another brother, Max, who is in finance. So we've got this family really of overachievers, and you've got Mm. these parents who are overachievers. 
you know, who are immigrants. They came from Colombia. They are everybody in the family are, are overachievers. And now all of a sudden you have a, a the disappearance of a fiance. And of course it's heart wrenching to Olivia. She doesn't know how she's gonna live, how she's gonna survive. Yeah. Her parents see her pretty much circling the drain, you know, so so badly that, you know, they're gonna have to medicate her because she's so clinically depressed. So you have you have all of these family dynamics at play, and it's really interesting to see um, how each one of them had some kind of relationship with Kyle, which may mm. be a positive relationship or may be a negative relationship. Well, I guess she's going to find out just what kind of relationship this is going to cause because of Hydrata and all the rest of it. So who is Drew, and how they, uh, why do we get classified that? Why did they classify it as an accident at first? Well, they classify it as an accident at first because you have this intervening storm. Yeah. You know, you have, a pop-up, you have a pop-up storm on the river. And as you say, I mean, yesterday we had torrential rain. You couldn't even see yeah. out the windows of my house. It was that kind of, of storm that came up. And, you know, that's why they classified it as an accident originally, and that's why we, we don't know whether or not anything, there's been any other human intervention other than Mother Nature. And as far as um, Drew, Drew is Ebony's boyfriend. Detective Ebony Jones is her boyfriend. And he I like is him. A fire, he's a firefighter, and he's one mm. of the guys who's on the team to, mm. to scour the river to try to find Kyle. And, I mean, he basically lays it there, you know. He, he repeats everything I already told you about the Hudson. Yeah. Um, because, and, and you have to realize this is unique, that, you know, what the fire department does is they're out there rescuing jet skiers who run out of gas or, let's say, um, uh uh, operators of boats who, you know, also run out of fuel or stoned or crash into other boats. They're not, they, you know, these people are not really trained to, you know, as, uh, uh, as to be first responders when there's a death involved. So everybody in this situation has really been, you know, blown away by the fact that they're dealing with a case of first impression. And Drew as a firefighter is, is no, um, you know, is a stranger to this kind of situation as well. My my computer almost decided not to let me do this. <laughs> the screen just this, my my husband put a fix on the on the whatever, and he they just turned black. But I've un I I got over it. I tricked it. Uh oh, it's back. Uh oh, this has happened. The last time this happened, I lost the sound and everything, and he didn't tell me. I said, Oh my God, you should have told me that this was going. Thank God I fixed it. So. Good. Sydney is very good as a as a district attorney. How does she learn more about kayaking, and who does she reach out to? And then Jesse gets involved because she's not going to give up until they find out what happened. Well, you know, as far as Cindy goes, Cindy realizes that if mm. this were an accident on land, they would be calling in a specialist. They'd be calling in a reconstructionist. They would be calling in mm. somebody who knows this, this area of law. And so that's what she figures. Okay, I need to find someone that knows about aquatic depth. Mm. So she, just like I found my specialist, Cindy goes through the same steps, and she finds a woman 
who is, again, is world-renowned, who mm. has, you know, all of the credentials that you would want for this particular kind of case. And it's interesting because she encounters her um, at one of the local colleges, and I was able to actually go to the notorium, which is a swimming mm. pool, basically, at a college. And so I was able to get the feel of, of, of the, you know, of the actual uh, swimming pool area, but so that I could place my characters in this pool doing exercises, um, you know, life-saving exercises. So that was another mm. thing that, you know, people say to me, well, how far do you go in order to find out and do research? Well, in this case, I went kayaking on the Hudson. I'd never kayaked mm. before. Oh, God. And I said to my son and my husband, let's take some classes and let's do it. And we did because for me it was important because I wanted to find out, uh, you know, how important equipment was and also what my characters would be experiencing, you know, by, by having to deal with the, with the river. And that's what Cindy did too. She had to experience the situation. So that's why she brought on someone that really um, could give her insight into these type of bizarre deaths. You're brave, not me. So <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not, not going to talk about the kayak and what we find out. But they interview the Vargas family. Olivia, what can I say? She's upset, poor thing. And as the story moves on, do Ebony and Xander work together to find evidence to what happened? And do they ever find him? I, I like well, Xander. You know, Xander's an interesting guy because he's in, just as Ebony was born and raised in Poughkeepsie, so mm-hmm. was Xander. But in Poughkeepsie, there's always been like a city and a town of Poughkeepsie. So Xander is very much a townie. He's he's um, a little bit more from the high rent districts than than Ebony and uh, Ebony and um, Jesse are. So there's there's a little bit of a conflict there. And Xander's also from a family that is one of the first Polish settlers of Poughkeepsie. And, in fact, there's a park that's been named after his family, and he's very proud of that. Um, he really, he's a good guy. He's a real straight and narrow kind of guy. And he's a good balance to Ebony, who, could, who can be a person who thinks out of the box. You know, if you think about a good cop, bad cop routine, that's what you've got. You've got, you know, Xander playing mm-hmm. the good cop when they're inter- when they're interviewing witnesses, and Ebony playing the okay, I'm going to nail you to the wall kind of cop. So she, he's very much, uh, they're very much a team that's in sync with one another, and it's no it's no spoiler that this perhaps might be their last. Uh, investigation together because both of them you know in the last book um, they were cited to to be promoted and Mm -hmm. there's only one opening in the city of Poughkeepsie so Ebony is going to go for that promotion and as a result Xander opted to go to work for the county so this could be their their last swan song so it's that is always in the mind their minds as they pursue this this case. I know that was sad, but before I forget, 
on August 2nd, we will go back online, and I will have John Dobbin uh, with Deadly Depth. On the 8th, this is different. My, I have a master's and a PD and a whole bunch in reading, and on the 8th, Dr. George Cavoto and Fran are going to talk about the new method of teaching children to read, <clears throat> the science of reading. And we're going to talk about the pros and tons of cons, and I'm going to talk about the program itself. And I did a lot of research over the last couple of days, sent him my talking points, and he said, as usual, you're right. And he was, I'm very proud of myself because <laughs> he's tough. Oh, he's tough. The science of reading is a method of teaching children um, letter recognition, phonics, uh, phonemes, and I taught reading for 19 years, and I would probably hesitate before I embark on this program because some of it works and some of it doesn't. On the 15th, I have Echoes of the Bio. On the 17th, New York Times author Brian Freeman will be here with The Born Defiance. On the 21st, I have a panel with Patrick Moore, Vincent Zandri, and David Putnam. We're going to talk about characters that are outlandish. And on the 23rd, Cindy McDonald, and that's just some. And, of course, I'd have to announce that on the 20th of September, Tess Gerrinson is coming on with Spy Coast and a few more. That's just some of it. So who sees the body and how is it finding? Who's Carly? Oh, okay. Well, um, that is another aspect of uh, yeah. uh, of um, uh, Detective Ebony Jones's life. Mm. And Carly is her younger sister. And mm-hmm. what's interesting about Carly is Carly is the assistant medical director for Dutchess County. Mm. And she, and, you know, one of the things about Ebony is that Ebony has a tendency to measure herself against other people. She, mm. She's a gal who, she could have gone to law school. She, was, she had the grades, she had the LSATs. She had everything, but she decided to go into law enforcement. She was drawn to that. Um, and her sister was drawn into medicine. Her sister has an identic memory, which is a little different from a photographic memory. A photographic mm. memory is when you look at something and you can remember it. Identic is when you remember everything that has happened in your life. And that's what her sister has. So Ebony measures herself against her sister. She measures herself against Jesse, who became a lawyer, who became a criminal lawyer, which is something that um, Ebony has trouble dealing with because the two of them were, you know, like sisters from another mother, basically. And mm. now all of a sudden they're on opposite sides of the law. One wants to catch the bad guys. One, one wants to, you know, let them free. But Carly is somebody who, um, again, she is a new character that um, I thought would be a good balance against, to have a little bit of sibling and sisterly rivalry going on, Mm. especially since they're technically both in the same field. One is a medical examiner and the other as the cop. And I don't want to say too much about finding the body or who finds the body and Mm -mm. if the the body is ever found. But, uh, you know, we can can assume that, that, that sinister things happen uh, that require the need for a, uh, a medical examiner to arrive. Well, there's one other character that I'm going to leave out because that will give away something else. So what happens when Jesse gets a phone call about something 
if Kyle doesn't survive, what, how did you add that twist? And how did, what research does Jesse do? Because um, I've had that happen with my sister. And she, she, when she died, she left it to my niece and nephew, but somehow her husband, there's something called elective share. And mm-hmm. for some reason, yeah, he was entitled to $30,000 for my niece and 30 for my nephew, and he did it for spite. Not because he needed mm-hmm. it. So I know. And she left him a lot, and he said it wasn't whatever, and he didn't even want to pay for her funeral. He wanted me to pay for it. I said, you go right ahead and do it. And I probably should have because then he wouldn't have gotten back the money for the funeral for my niece and nephew. So mm. when the – yeah, it's scary. So how does that Jesse react to the fact that, you know, Kyle might not survive? Well, in the event that Kyle doesn't survive, it, it raises a lot of questions. Yeah. Uh, not only does it raise questions about Jesse's, as I said, her her becoming the sole uh, uh, sole parent for this child, but yeah. whether or not Kyle had had any assets that would flow to their their daughter. And um, in the book, we raise not only criminal issues but some estate issues and will-related yeah. issues that should Kyle. Uh, not return, they then come to bear on on uh, Jesse and what she must do in order to um, protect her daughter's rights. As I said, it's all about protecting yeah. this child, not only, I mean, that's really what this is about. It's about a mother's desire to protect yeah. her child. Well, how does this come to play with her friendship? Her friendship with Ebony and Drew and all of them, it sort of like her destroys and it starts to destroy them and break it down. And she's supposedly friends with her, but because of this, it could be that they're not your friends anymore. Well, part of it is that Jesse, yeah. Jesse has to, she's going to wear two hats. One yeah. as an attorney. You know, there's, there's always this undercurrent yeah. that she views the world through the lens of being an attorney. So, but she, at the same time, she's viewing the world through her own personal grief for a former partner and her desire to protect her daughter. So you have, you really have uh, mm. Jesse being strained from three different angles in the book, you know, on a personal level, on a professional level, and as a mother. So uh, and and that comes in direct contact with Ebony mm-hmm. because Ebony, Ebony, while Kyle was a friend and an acquaintance of Ebony, and that kind of colors her judgment in 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 trying to pursue this case because I think she sees it as a way to rectify any um, fissures in her relationship with Jesse. In other words, if I can solve this, this situation yeah. with Jesse, maybe my my relationship with Jesse will be remedied. But at the same time, she is a um, she's a fact finder. She can't let Jesse put up these walls and hide behind these emotional walls because Ebony has to find out is there has there been foul play, and if there is foul play, mm. how do I find how do I um, proceed? And you know, and I cannot let Jesse stand in the way of my proceeding. You know that again. Our mm-hmm. relationship be damned. First and foremost, I'm a cop, 
and I represent the people of the state of New York, and I have to get uh, a potential um, a potential you know uh, a wrongdoer off off the streets. So you have these two women again coming into you know coming into conflict with each other. Well, this is this, this is unreal because if you get to know Olivia. How come she has so many people that follow her on social media? I mean, she's really, well, it, and it influences what happened, too. But how does she manage to uh, sway people to want to think that she's so wonderful? Well, you see, she she's, she uses the situation. She's, she's very manipulative, and we're going to yeah. see her manipulate the situation to her benefit. That, of course. Um, you know, she, um, in New York, there's something that's called the right of privacy. And actually, it's in every state. And the question, again, is who owns, and, uh, who owns you in the event that you die? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take Elvis Presley for an example, uh, or Jimi Hendrix. Who owns their images and who is entitled to benefit from them um, mm-hmm. and their likenesses after death. And so I think this is something that Olivia recognizes and says, oh, not only can I benefit this um, and manipulate the people that follow me, but I can use uh, my relationship with Kyle as, as a way to build her pulpit, you know, that she mm-hmm. can use it as a siren call to a mass attention for her. So it's really well, she, it's really interesting to see what she does. You don't want to know what she does. And I won't say well, you know, how is, she did this it. This is a statement really about social media and yeah. about how social media can be manipulated um, and people can oh, yeah. be manip- people can be easily manipulated. Um, and, you know, it's because... You know, it's it's interesting because various characters give their opinion on social media, and that it what bothers me is that I, I get I get emails from LinkedIn and it bothers me. They said last week you were in two hundred fifty search two hundred fifty uh, searches, seventy two people wanted to read your profile and I ignore it, and then mm-hmm. I get. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I get 10 people, we would like to connect with you, and I don't, because if they come from certain places, I know that it's baloney and they want money or something. So mm-hmm. it, you got to be so careful with social media. And on Facebook, if you notice, I only put my reviews, and yesterday I put a memorial to my sister with a shirt that I had made in memory of my sister. Otherwise, I don't put anything. I just put my reviews and my show. That's it. I won't put anything about myself. And I think people need to start thinking about it because people are beginning to wonder whether we know how to think or not. So in the end, do you think justice was done? Um, I think I've left that open. Okay, and, you did, yeah. You know, I've in, I've, yeah, I've intentionally left that open because there could be another book here. Uh, I you hope. Know, I'm not saying that there is. I'm not saying that there is, but I'm saying that mm-hmm. I intentionally left it open so that in the future I could continue this story because there's a lot more of this story to be told. Um, that's 
That's true. You know, there's a lot more of this story to be told. And I did that intentionally. You did. I know that. I got that. So, (laughs) you know, it's funny. I, I won't tell you which New York Times author whose book came on Wednesday. And book mail is not bringing anything. I'm just glad I got yours. And I'm serious. So I got the book and I sat down and read it in an hour and a half. The problem was I knew who did it on the third page. Mm-hmm. For real. And he's mm-hmm. a phenomenal this person, is a, is a phenomenal author, and I'm going, wait a minute, I know who did it. He's mm-hmm. not going to like mm-hmm. that, but what can I say? Yeah, and I figured out the one that I finished yesterday, too, who did it. So where do you see Jesse, Ebony, and Xander next? And are they really poor Xander and Ebony? So sad. Well, you know, again, that's well, it's interesting because when I sent my book out to my early readers, I had a chapter in there that summed mm. up what happened to Ebony and Xander. And and one of the readers came back and said, "What do we need to know that for? You know, you you we it sounds like you're starting another book." And I realized that I was starting another book. Um, so I took I took that chapter out and ended the ended the story where I ended it where um, Xander and uh, Ebony are going to take their exams. Um, but it's really um, you know there's there are even if they do end up pursuing different paths, there's a lot of interplay that could happen to these potential these characters potentially. So I'm trying to be evasive because I'm still working out the future in my yeah. own mind, but I intentionally, uh, you know, left their relationship and what happened to them vague. Well, Jesse has a new person in her life that I like. Yes, she does. That's all. I, I like him a lot, and I'm saying, like, I just hope, I was just praying that that whole thing didn't mess it up. But because of him, <laughs> it didn't sort of mess up, and... Usually I read a book and it has a little child in it and I go like, oh God, why am I reading this part? You know, Lily was adorable. She's cute. But sometimes I read these books and you get like the child takes over the plot and I don't want to read it anymore. For real. Mm -hmm. So what's next for you and where can everybody get all of your books and which ones haven't I read yet? (laughs) Well, we had The Midnight Call, which is the first one. And you and I spoke about that one, and then also Hooker yeah. Avenue, which I have to tell you, I received a call a couple of weeks ago that I was nominated for the Romance Writers of America. Um, oh, nice. Of Death Section, Daphne du Maurier Award for that one, and that is like a huge award, and I'm a finalist for that, and I'm so excited um, that for Hooker Avenue was recognized for that. Um and, of course, you know, we're just talking about the empty kayak. So right now, those are the three installments of the Queen City Crime Series. Uh, you know, honestly, Fran, like you, I'm taking the summer off because I have been writing writing and working on books constantly for about Good. the past two or three years. So I promised myself the summer off. So I'm going to do that, do some research, and then I'll figure out in the fall where I'm going, and I'll sit down and I'll start writing. Um, if people want to want to check me out, I have a brand new website, which is www.jodemillman.com. Um, they can find out about my events. They can sign out, find out for my newsletter. They can find me on social media. Everything is at my brand new website, and it really is 
a pretty cool website, <laughs> if I do say so myself. I work with a very, a very cool um, firm that specializes in authors' websites, and I think they did a spectacular job for me. So I have to give um, AuthorBite some kudos. So, you know, like I said, I'm taking the summer off. <coughs> I'm going to be doing quite a few events. My event calendar is posted on my website. My first event actually is tonight. Uh, if anybody oh, listens nice. to the sound of my voice, up in Rhinebeck, New York, I will be at Oblong Books tonight at 6 p.m. And then um, they can check out my schedule. I'm in the Hudson Valley um, all summer as I'm enjoying myself and hopefully we'll have some sunshine. I hope so, too. All I know is that my books are different. They're written from the dead person behind the gravestone. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, um, they did a great job, Partners in Crime. Unfortunately, the people that reviewed it, some of them didn't like it. And mm. their, their reasoning was really... Yeah, the reasoning I was um, they didn't understand what I wrote or they didn't. It's from people that were wrongly accused. And the five of the stories mm -hmm. are true. I didn't make them up. They were dictated mm -hmm. to me before the person died. And two of them are my grandmothers. They told me the story when my grandmother was in a Polish concentration camp and was tortured. And my other one came from Russia and was tortured by her relatives. They're all true stories, except for two of them. So I got, you know, criticized by stuff that I just said the heck with it. And I haven't decided whether I'm going to even write another one. I might just stick to reviews and interviews because I seem to be really good at this. If anybody has an interview or a book or they want an interview, you better talk to me because September is almost gone. I'm into October, <laughs> November, and December is like... My husband looks at me, he says, you don't have to. I said, you know what? It makes me feel that I'm doing something to help people. I feel like, I'm, I know I'm smart, and according to my professor, he thinks I'm a freaking genius to learn about the science of reading. Uh, people should listen to that because maybe the people that are buying into it, it's for, it's for book companies to make more money. And a new, new process of teaching reading, yeah. And I taught reading for a long time, and... I have my doubts about it. But this this has been fun. Keep in touch and let me know when the next one's coming out so I can read it. And I hope that you do another one with Partners in Crime, but even if you don't, you could ask for an interview anyway. It's okay. Oh, thank you, Fran. I appreciate it. It's always fun to talk to you. We always have a lot to talk about. And, uh, again, thank you so much. And people can find me at my website. And have a great day. You too. Everybody have a great day. The sun is shining. Stay healthy, stay strong, and bye.